The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Emails aplenty. Welcome to the show, Fantasy Baseball Today. It is Friday. It's January 24th. Thinking we'll have two to three episodes next week, but we definitely wanted to get some of your emails read today, so we will get them at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. I'm Adam Azer. We've got Chris Towers, in, not after dark, because we're doing this during the day, but in the dark. Chris, why are the lights never on in the room you're in? Um, I don't know. There is a little lamp, so it's not quite that dark, but there's like a little bit of foil tape over what I assume is the uh, the motion detector in this studio, and so I think you have to like actually touch it to get it to turn on, touch and it. I just didn't touch it. Touch, touch it, Chris. <laughs> Go why did he put foil tape over that? I don't know. I don't know. I, this this was here long before I was. It'll be here long after I'm gone. I think that was the same guy in the dorm room who would like put duct tape over his windows. You know that guy? No, I never no, saw that exactly. guy. No. Huh. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't. We did lots of things in the dorms, but maybe I just knew some weirdos. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah. The, I, I have some theories about why they would be doing that, but I don't know if we want to discuss them on fantasy <laughs> baseball today. I don't think so. All right, that's Scott White and Chris Towers. I'm Adam Azer, so let's get to it. Boston and San Diego are discussing a deal for Mookie Betts. It's certainly realistic that he gets traded. I mean, there's a lot of buzz here. So uh, one thing I did notice about his splits, he hits for a good amount of power on the road, but his batting average the last four years, it's been worse on the road every single season. Uh, home batting average last four seasons, 320, 335, 279, 364, 314. Road batting average last four seasons, 301, 251, 331, and 275. Career 319 hitter at home, career 285 hitter on the road. Uh, so if Mookie Betts were to get traded, Scott, let's say to San Diego, uh, do you think it would have a big impact on his value? He has been... In two of the last four years, the number one hitter in fantasy. In the other two years, he's been slightly disappointing, but still great. For star-level players like that, I rarely think it's going to have a big impact on his value. I would prefer him stay in Boston. But, uh, I mean, honestly, I would be very surprised if he's traded. I I think the most likely scenario he gets traded is sort of like when uh, the, the Orioles traded Manny Machado uh, you know, late the year before he entered free agency and they traded into the Dodgers. Like, I just feel like with where the, the way um, the economics work in the game right now and the way talent is evaluated and rosters are constructed, there just isn't really a match the for a Mookie Betts trade entering the last year of his contract. Like, I think it would have to be owner-initiated, like, the owner would have to demand from on high that his general manager do this because he is so invested in getting a win for this year. I, I just don't think any general manager would be compelled to pull the trigger on the kind of uh, return that the Red Sox would request for, for Mookie Betts. Then you don't think he's going to get traded, right? Right. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But no, like I mean, even during the season. Well, it would be it would be a situation where the Red Sox gave in and said, "Fine, we're not going to get what we want, but it's better than getting nothing." Kind of like the Orioles did with Manny Machado. Right. Years the ago. Orioles were a bad team. There's almost no way the Red Sox are anything but very competitive this year. Like 
Last year was this giant disaster for the Red Sox. And they won 84 games and they had a Pythag record of 87 and 75. And that's with getting like basically nothing from their bench, a down season from Andrew Benintendi, a down season from Mookie Betts and Jamie Merton. Like they're almost certainly going to be something like a 90 win team next year. So there's just no way that if they don't trade him before the season, there's no way they're pulling the plug on it. Okay. I mean, I wasn't, I, I wasn't as sorry, Chris totally convinced they were making <laughs> a, a postseason push as you sound like you are, but you, you could absolutely be right. Yeah, they got they didn't get much from Chris Sale obviously last year either. He had a bad year by his standards. Bets went fourth overall. More more interesting than the trades are the steals because he only stole sixteen bases last year and previous three seasons I think he had been between twenty six and thirty steals. So yeah, twenty six, twenty six, thirty, and sixteen. He did go. Mookie Betts went fourth overall in the roto draft we did last week. Acuna, Trout, Yelich, Betts, Bellinger, five outfielders. To start the draft, Bellinger also first base eligible. Uh, but you know, we we just we know how valuable those steals are. Can we make an educated guess about how many steals Mookie Betts will have this year? Yeah, we can make an educated guess. What do you think? Uh, but it's it's the sort of thing where the difference between ten and twenty is huge in terms of what it means to your fantasy team, but not so huge in terms of. Uh, the approach Mookie Betts takes. I, I would, you know, I would split the difference and say 20 is okay. what I'm expecting for Mookie Betts. But, you know, there's a wide range there, what he could potentially do. Okay. Mitch Haniger is going to miss probably you know, about a month. He's having core muscle surgery. I heard on last Friday's show, Heath talking about Haniger as a sleeper, obviously before this news. Haniger, you know, was probably something like a eighth round pick, seventh round pick, something like that last year, and and now much lower because he had a bad year. Batted two twenty, and his strikeout rate was just through the roof. Chris, do you see any reason to draft Haniger and stash him in an IL spot? Not in a three outfield league, maybe a five outfield league, but he's he's sort of fringy in a three outfield context anyway. So, um, I'm just stealing what Scott said on Twitter last night. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but, you know, who is he? Because last year was crazy with all the strikeouts, and he's currently going 182nd overall, Mitch Haniger. You know, Scott, this was a guy who was a top 12 outfielder in 2018, and in 2017, he had almost he basically the same slash line. He just didn't play as many games. Um, he played yeah. only 96 games. So, like, he's basically performed like a top 20 outfielder Two year, maybe more like top 18 or so uh, two years in a row and was top 12 in 2018. Well, two out of the last three years because last year was tough. Yeah, I, I think because 2017 and 2018 were more or less the same, just a playing time difference, like you said, that's probably closer to who he is. Um, but, I mean, he's had a lot of disruptions physically over the past year and because of that I would I would be more concerned about that than the fact he happened to strike out a lot during a partial season last year I mean that's not ideal obviously but that's not what's scaring going to scare me away from him okay I'll just say one last thing uh he's better on the road and that makes sense so Seattle's a bad park for hitters if he gets traded and they trade everyone you know that they, they have made a trade in like in a long time for them. <laughs> so if he gets Very traded, draws. They, yeah, they could, uh, they, that could help Hanniger's value a lot. Uh, former Mariner. Speaking of which Scott, she, you, you want to know why Scott's so good at, at fantasy baseball. We were doing a prospect only draft last night and he drafted Nelson Cruz. So it's shenanigans <laughs> like that, Scott, that, 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 you know, have made uh, you one of the best of the business. Yes. Needless to say that pick didn't go over well. <laughs> Had to retract it. <laughs> yes, it was an auto pick. It was quite funny, but we did a pr two prospect only drafts last night. What's the deal with uh, what's on the website? Give us a, a hint of what's coming up, what people can see in terms Ooh. of drafts, in terms of content. Yes, Chris, this is your so cue as well. Much. So much. We've got my position previews for the 2020 season. So I went through every position, uh, did little write ups for each of Scott's top 12 players at the position. I did like three to five other players to know outside of the top 12, a sleeper, a breakout, and a bust for each position, and I included Scott's top prospect write-ups for each position, so pretty much everything you would want to know for each position. Uh, 
in a neat little package there. Those are all going up today on cbssports.com slash fantasy. We also had a mock draft earlier this week, our first Roto draft of 2020, I believe. Uh, we'll have those two prospect-only drafts likely going up today, a head-to-head and a Roto with some of the best prospect writers in the industry. And then at some point early next week, Scott White will have his sleepers, breakouts, and busts 1.0. Mm-hmm. And... uh then next week, I believe Scott and I will be working on some, uh, we'll be doing uh, the case for and the case against drafting each of the players in the top 200. We did that last year for baseball and football, and people seem to like it. So we'll have that probably maybe by the end of next week. A lot of stuff cool. going on and on mocksports.com. Mock drafts galore, too, from, yes. from beginning this week, uh, basically right up until opening day on March 26th. We're going to have two mock drafts. At least two every week in a wide variety of formats. Uh, we're going to be a little more dynasty focused this year. As Chris mentioned just last night, we did two prospects only drafts for the the main two formats that people play in on our site, points and roto. Um, and then we're also going to have two dynasty startup drafts for those also those same formats, the traditional roto format and head to head points. Starling Marte might get traded. That's our last news item. Then we'll get to your emails. And there's some buzz about that. Last year, he was the number 13 outfielder in Roto. He was top 20 in points. And Starling Marte only played 132 games. He hasn't played more than 145 games in four seasons. 129, 70. There was a suspension in there. But 129, 77, 145, 132. He gets hurt all the time. Um, in fact, Older right, than you think, too. Yeah. And you know, he's 31. And Marte, you know, the batting average jumped back up to 295. The power was up, season a career high, 23 homers. He had a really good year. He slugged 503. He had never slugged higher than 460. So um, I think he's got. I think he's a really interesting player because he's there. You know, people I think take Marte in a roto league, like end of round three, and the steals have been reliable, but they're not elite anymore. And if he's hitting 275 like he did in 2017, 2018, he's not nearly as valuable as you know the consistent, really good batting average guy that he had been before that, and he was again in 2019. So, you know, how do you feel about Marte, Starling Marte, Scott White? I'm pretty high on him. I certainly feel better about him than he did than I did at this time a year ago. Of course, he's coming off what was basically a career season when. This time last year, he was coming off a career worst season and looked like maybe the skills were beginning to erode. Clearly, they weren't. I mean, you mentioned the batting average hasn't been as reliable the past couple of years. Obviously, he traded off with some power last year. Um, but beyond that, he actually had a career high XBA last year. It seems like he had bad luck in terms of uh, what he delivered in batting average. It was one of the uh, top uh, 10 or 15 expected batting averages in all of baseball. So I, I think the skills are definitely there. Is he running as much? No, but is he running enough to to make a significant impact in that category? Uh, given how the league as a whole is running right now, yes, absolutely. Cool. All right, Chris. I know you just promoted a hell of a lot of stuff. Did you talk about the newsletter? No. Last thing. Go for it. Yeah, you should sign up for the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter so that you can get all of that great content delivered right into your inbox pretty much every single day, probably not on the weekends. I need to you know, take some time off too. But <laughs> other than that, you'll get the best fantasy baseball content delivered right in your inbox. It's uh, cbssports.com slash newsletters slash fantasy dash baseball dash today, I believe. Okay, well, that's that's quite a URL. It's, but cbssports.com slash newsletters, right? That's the, Yeah, you can go there and there's a little button. You can click it and it'll you send it right there. I think that's a little bit easier. Let's read some emails. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. All right. So this is the last one of this series that we're going to read. It's been about the categories in the Wild Wild West pitching uh, leagues where, you know, you can just do all relievers, basically. So we read that email from Mario yesterday where he said he ar- he added home run to fly ball rate. No, uh, was that what it was? Home run per nine? Home run per nine. That's what I meant. Um, to favor starting pitchers. And Scott and I were like... Dude, what'd you say? It wasn't home runs per nine. It was home runs allowed. Home runs allowed? Yes. Okay. 
Uh, and we were like, dude, that doesn't help starting pitchers. That helps relievers. And so he clarified, in a wild, wild west, five by five, teams tend to stream a ton of starting pitchers each week while scooping up as many closers as possible. It becomes a race to see who can throw the most starts each week regardless of talent and matchup. Um, this severely impacts the draft. The starting pitcher slides so far that the relievers start to go before most of the SP2s. We didn't like this, and I believe that was the main issue. Um, so we added the home run allowed category so teams couldn't stream a ton of starts each week, which in turn restored value back to the top and the middle class of starting pitchers. It also creates a situation where you start to play matchups. Um, okay, less random num- random numbers game, more strategy. So I think that's what it was, Scott. In this particular format, and I do think this was one of those two starters, two relievers, and three pitcher spots, adding home runs allowed prevented teams from completely, uh, completely ignoring starting pitcher basically during drafts and just streaming all the time to get counting stats because that negative category really hurt that and it made them focus more on starting pitchers in the draft and actually drafting good ones well okay i mean this this uh this introduces another series of questions such as is this a daily or weekly format how often are waivers daily it's daily it's daily and i assume it's with daily waiver like i just think daily Daily leagues with daily waivers or, or free ad drops is a is a bad idea because yeah I mean you could oh, like if you, if you're good if you want to no. play daily fantasy make waivers run w- once a week no to prevent people from doing this and oh. that's a much neater way of doing it than trying to um, consider the uh, collateral damage of introducing or removing categories. Chris, tell him he's wrong. Uh, I I'm fine with weekly waiver runs. In a daily league, yeah, to 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 prevent this exactly. Well, like, what's the what's the downside to doing that? Making you, you can't beat all your friends to the waiver yes. wire that night to pick up. But that's like that's not the best way of playing anyway, because it just basically rewards the person who happens to have the most optimal well, schedule. No, let's do it this way. All right, in uh-huh. in a baseball game, you know, first pitch is at seven oh five. You can make a roster move. Up until the game starts. Once the game starts, you're locked into that 25-man roster. You can make all the lineup changes and pinch hitters and pinch runners that you want, but you can't add a guy in the fourth inning to your 25-man roster who wasn't there at the start of the game. Yeah, but you can do that the it's next day. Exactly you don't have to. You don't have to wait true. a week to call somebody up if one of your guys gets hurt. Look, the week is your game. Okay, but. It's not, though, because there are so many games within the game. It's not like football where the guys are playing once. I have a weekly... I have a, I'm have. sorry. I have a daily league with daily transactions. You are allowed seven transactions per week, um, but less than that for the year. You have like 80 or something transactions for the year. Okay. So I mean, transaction limits is yes. another way to combat it. Yes. Sure. That, I don't, I, yours are a little too draconian, So, but I am all about transaction limits. Okay, that's it for that. Let's go to this one, Ryan in St. Louis. Hey, Bobby, Gervais, and Ricardo. Rickies. Rickies. <laughs> after looking at Scott White's tiers, I'm confused by where he has tiered Eduardo Rodriguez. I remember after the season, he said the numbers led him to think that Erod could be an ace, innings, strikeouts, wins. But he is not tiered that way, and the fantasy baseball world is demanding to know why and discuss. Eduardo Rodriguez. I, I I think the point I was making that he's referring to was more how much of an oddity Eduardo Rodriguez season season is because yes my my loose standard for an ace is somebody that you can reasonably expect two hundred innings two hundred and two hundred strikeouts from and Eduardo Rodriguez happened to meet those thresholds last year but. Overall, like it's not like you look at the rest of his stat line and thinks this guy is an ace. And it's not like you have a great deal of confidence he's going to repeat either of those numbers. So I, I think he's I think he's less than an ace. I think he's somebody that can be relied on at a position where, you know, the number of reliable options quickly runs out, but he's not an ace. Chris, what do you think about Rodriguez? He was fifteenth in points, he was nineteenth in Roto. And if I could make the case for him, I would say that, you know, you look at a guy like Trevor Bauer, who became an ace. Now, last year, I don't know what the hell happened, but 
He became an ace uh, after the All-Star break, basically, of 2017. He was amazing in 2018, and he changed his arsenal. He made a change that we can point to. I think you might be able to say the same thing about Eduardo Rodriguez. In his last 24 starts, he started throwing his sinker more, and he got more ground balls. He stopped being such so dependent on the fly balls, and he went 15-3 and three with a 321 ERA. And this is a guy who's never had a season with an ERA under 381, and it was 321 in his last 24 starts. So that's the case for him. The case against him is basically what Scott said. I mean, just like the whip, the whip is awful. He's just a yeah. terrible whip guy. 133 whip. Clearly not an ace whip. Every year it's bad too. So yeah. uh, and, and even I'm sorry. Last thing, even in that great stretch, those 24 starts, it was one two eight. So where are you on Eduardo Rodriguez? I, I just think the simplest explanation for him is you look at the last three years. His FIP is three ninety seven, three sixty five, three eighty six. You know, there's been a lot of fluctuation in how he's been viewed, but how he's actually pitched has been startlingly consistent. If you look at K per nine. Walked per nine, home runs per nine, hits per nine, whip. You know, the ERA's fluctuated a little bit, but that's what ERA does. And so I just think, like, yeah, you can look at 24 starts and maybe there, but the most likely explanation is he's just a high threes, low fours ERA guy with a lot of strikeouts who will hurt you in whip. And that's a decent pitcher to have around, you know, a 381 ERA in 2019, 2020, assuming it's a similar offensive environment is comparable to what like a 3-4 ERA used to be in terms of the number of guys who can give you that. And so like he has value. He's just not he's not great. And you know, a lot of him finishing what 15th and 13th you said? 15th and 19th. That's 19 wins and he's not going to win 19 games again next year. Yeah. Right? It just you wonder if the arsenal change was different. Also, one thing that Eduardo Rodriguez never did was go deep into games except his rookie season. His first, this is amazing. His first two starts of his career were seven innings, two or fewer earned runs. Um, he did that six times in his rookie season. In his next three seasons, he did that five times. Um, and then last year, he did that nine times, seven innings, nine times. So, okay, so sorry, I, I sort of mixed up the stat. But last year, he had, he had nine starts of seven innings. The three previous seasons, he had a combined five starts of seven or more innings. So he certainly got better. We'll see what uh, comes over to this year. Let's talk about where he's going. Eduardo Rodriguez is going 112th overall, just in front of Madison Bumgarner and Zach Wheeler and Carlos Carrasco. Carrasco, to me, continues to be the best draft value. If he's really going 117th, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's Yeah, Carlos Carrasco, is. I would much rather have him than any of those guys. But like Rodriguez being in the same group as Madison Bumgarner and Zach Wheeler, that makes perfect sense. I just think Carrasco's a much better value. Uh, that's easy, though. Who, so how would you rank Rodriguez, Bumgarner, and Wheeler? Uh, I don't know. Do you have a three-sided die, <laughs> Scott, that I could use? Yeah, ask Scott. He actually does it. <laughs> I rank them Wheeler... Uh, Bumgarner and then Eduardo Rodriguez, though I hesitate on the Bumgarner there because I'm not confident. I'm not confident he's going to be that uh, that useful now that he's out of San Francisco. The home away splits were so extreme the past two years, but there are some encouraging th things he did last year too. So for now, I'm going to keep him ahead of Eduardo Rodriguez. Give me Zach Gallon over all of them. Brent from Cooper, Scotland. Cooper, you know they have a uh, Chris. They have a big uh, tournament in Cooper, Scotland, all the time. You know the trophy they win? The Cooper Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> solid. That's good. I haven't heard anything about this, which may be uh, my answer. But is there any chat of Jordan Alvarez playing another position and Ooh. gaining? So. I know you okay I'll get back to that and gaining some extra eligibility because right now Alvarez is only DH only uh yes the double only um <laughs> yeah sure I mean he got he made a few starts in the outfield last year I, 10 I think he made nine starts 10 appearances buddy yeah and and that was only in what half a season in the majors so it, it only takes five appearances at a position to gain 
eligibility there, the the harder standard is going from one season to the next 20 games to retain it. But I can see him getting five appearances in the outfield, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, he had nine starts in the outfield, four of them, or five of them, yeah, four of them, were in NL parks. So I looked at their schedule, and... And he didn't play like every, he didn't start every game in the outfield uh, interleague at NL Parks. Like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking by the all star break, Alvarez will probably have it. And it could be much earlier than that. Look, if there's an injury to someone, then he might get those five uh, much earlier. But at some point, he'll probably be outfield eligible. And I went with Jordan because I've been saying Jordan. We were told it was Jordan by Jim Bowden, who knows this stuff. Like, Jim Bowden, I think, said that the GM of the Astros, uh, the former, I think that's who he said. Luno told him it's Jordan, but I don't know, man. Like I keep hearing it on broadcasts as Jordan, and I know I'll switch it, my I'll switch it, it tomorrow. It makes you want to pull your hair out. Mm-hmm. Here, here's a here's a a Jordan Jordan Alvarez uh, take. You guys ready? Yeah, sure. It is bananas that he's going 50 spots ahead of Nelson Cruz. It is absolutely absurd. I think that's more of a Nelson Cruz take than an Alvarez okay. take, though. Right. Yeah. This is, yeah. I, like, the DH only slash utility only players generally get pushed down, and mm-hmm. that's not happening with Alvarez this year. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I started to say something before Adam started talking about the name again, but of the DH only guys, the only one who I don't see picking up eligibility somewhere else at some point this season is Nelson Cruz. Like, he's the one who seems firmly entrenched as dh only i do think he's a great value but i mean there's more risk there he's 39 years old eventually you just stop being good yeah Yeah, hasn't happened but no i i I would say okay last thing on this if they play the same amount of games and this is the thing about cruz he was really stayed very healthy but the last two years 144 games and 120 games if they play the same amount of games who would you rather have alvarez or cruz I'll take Cruz. Same. Alvarez. Okay. Alvarez was so good last year. My goodness. All right. Miami Mike, subject line. Who can be a poopy diaper? <laughs> Dear loves Honest and Allen and Little Angels. Like I'm thinking those are diapers. Yeah. 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 I'm a pampers swaddler guy myself. For my side, not for me. For me, it's it's not uh, a pampers swaddler. Yeah. yeah. I go hugs for myself. Yeah, for me, it's loves. Part <laughs> of the subject, but I have a one-month-old and change diapers while listening to you guys. If there is any tweak to the baseball this year to decrease the pop-up home runs, who could be a poopy diaper? Cattell Marte, Glaber Torres, Josh Bell, DJ LeMahieu are some thoughts. Uh, who could be a poopy diaper, Chris, if the ball changes and we get fewer homers? Yeah, I think any of the big breakout guys from last year are going to be the most obvious Candidates. I'm actually looking for. I saw a tweet a couple of days ago that was like the players who had the most uh, home runs that just barely went over the the fence. And I think those kind of guys, once I can find that list, um, will will probably you would figure they would probably stand to lose the most. Yeah, yeah, that would be my guess. Home run tracker, ESPN home run tracker used to make that stuff very readily accessible, but it doesn't exist anymore. So I've had a hard time uh, figuring out where to get that information now. Um, but I, I mean, of the, of the players you named here, the ones who stand out the most are, uh, to me, the ones that I would speculate. Um, I don't know, where is the email here? Okay. Uh, would be LeMahieu and Catal Marte. But as I said on our last podcast, like I don't even think, this isn't even an idea I really want to entertain because there isn't going to be a conscious change to the baseball. The The results of the MLB study pretty much told us that. So it may change just because there are, uh, it, it, in, there are discrepancies in, in manufacturing, um, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be by design. So it's, it, the timing of it seems impossible to account for. I, one thing that, we have talked about in the past is, you know, how do you find that person who's going to be maybe a sophomore slump or not back up, you know, a breakout year. And I like to look at well-rounded players who do a lot of things. And the guys who don't fit that category to me are more likely to be busts. And if you just look at the numbers, 
that's Glaber Torres because he wasn't really good at anything other than hitting home runs. And obviously the runs and the RBIs that come with that and that come with being in the Yankees lineup. But I don't but I don't really like that exists, but I still think that he's still an ascending player who's only 23 years old and I think he'll become a more well-rounded player. But I guess if home runs drop dramatically and and Glaber Torres doesn't really have much to fall back on, that could be a big problem. And I think the contrast between him and Ozzy Albies is so fun. They are statistically anyway, based on last year, they are like completely opposite players, right? Where Albies does a little bit of everything and Glaber Torres does one thing. And it's like, they go similarly. They're both, I think they're the same age. They played the same position. Kind of an interesting uh, side-by-side comparison between those two guys. But so I, yeah. here, here's one about Glaber. I, I, I looked it up. I can't find the tweet I was referring to, but I did find some research that I did specifically since you brought up Glaber Torres because like he is going as like a top 30, top 36 pick right now. And if he's more of like a 32 homer guy, it's probably, and 32 homers is a lot, but that's probably not enough to justify his cost. And so I looked it up. Um, you know, he, I believe, tied a modern major league record with 13 home runs uh, in 18 games against the Orioles. Right. Last season, I did some research. Since 1969, 11 players have hit at least 11 home runs against one team in a season. They collectively averaged 53.2 home runs per season in that season with a median of 52. The following year, that group averaged 40.9 home runs per season prorated to the same playing time because some of those guys missed a lot of time, uh, a median of 37. So, you know, that would be relative to his 38. That would be something like 30 you know, 28 to 32 home runs, let's say. And none of the 11 in that group hit more home runs the following season. Only Sammy Sosa in 1998, Jim Tomey in 2002, and Dale Murphy in 1983 hit even 90% as many home runs the following season. So that would get him to about 33. Yeah. So history suggests that what he did last year, specifically picking on the Orioles so much and then kind of just, you know, not being nearly as good against everyone else, suggests that he is a pretty good uh, regression candidate. And I think I chose him as my bust for either shortstop or second base. Okay, that's Glaber Torres. I do wonder, though, if this is the year where his plate discipline gets better, he starts recognizing, you're just controlling the strikes. Like, if he just becomes a better player this year. But if, yeah. he, if he doesn't and he just has to rely on the home runs, then he could be a poopy diaper at second or short. This is from Joel. I'm in a head-to-head 10-category 12-team league. It has saves plus holds instead of saves. With the new three batter rule for relievers, how will this affect holds? Who gets who gets bumped up in value? Uh, would it be closers or the elite eighth inning guys? Is there any change here in saves plus holds? Holds specifically with the new three batter rule, and that is uh, pitcher has to face if he comes in, um, he, if he comes in in an inning, he has to face three hitters unless he ends the inning, right? Or there's a pinch hitter or does that not matter I'm i not sure. don't remember hearing that ignore me pinch hitter i will yeah but i um you know this <laughs> this hasn't been something i've been reflecting on at great length either so uh i mean i would there would have to be fewer holds right if if there's going to be fewer guns there would have to be fewer holds there would be you would think fewer collectively but they might be more concentrated. Right, right. So I would think the elite established uh, setup men, the ones with the clearest eighth inning role, would see the biggest boost here in leagues where the holds matter. And uh, Can I just jump in here? Scarcity there. I mean, there's only one type of player that's affected by this, and it's the, the, the loogies, right? The left-handed, one-out guys. And those guys are never rostered. I mean, I'm I've never played in a league that has holds, but like I can't imagine they're often rostered. Like you know, we're well, not talking there, about Andrew. There are, Mil- some, there are some righty specialists who come in for like partial innings too. I mean, it's it's not just the lefty guys. I guess, but th- this trend has been going away of uh, one out one out relievers. I don't think this is going to have a huge impact. Honestly, I I do think though. You're going to have relievers go out there and get kind of shelled at times, and they can't get taken out as early as normal because they have to face three batters, right? I mean, it's weird. 
Right. I I would expect that ERAs among relievers as a whole are going to go up, but among the the very best relievers, no, because they're already used to facing uh, both hands of hitters. The way I approach closers, I don't really care. Like once we've established that a guy is a closer, I don't really care about saves. I'll just draft whoever the best closer is and hope that they get uh, enough saves to make it worth it as the as the closer. And I'll I'll view you know middle relievers and setup men the same way. I'll just try to go get the the best guys. Like you look at the holds leaders, and it's Zach Britton and Will Harris and Ryan Presley and Craig Stammen, and it's a lot of guys who are just really good relievers for the most part. And it's so hard to predict holds and saves because they're as much about manager behavior and situation as they are what the pitcher can actually control. And we can't really predict those things all that well. So just when you're looking at a saves plus holds league, when you're looking at a holds league, when you're looking at saves, just get the best guys that you can. Okay. So I'm going to give us a time limit on the next few emails so we can get to some more. So how about this one from Ryan in Fredericksburg? Dear Jimmy, Kyle, Patrick, and Andy. Got it? Jimmy, Kyle, no. Patrick, and Andy. That would be Super Bowl quarterbacks and coaches. Okay. Uh, Chris, I'm going to give this one to you. Five-by-five head-to-head categories league we use. Runs, total bases, RBIs, steals, and on-base percentage for hitters. We use strikeouts, quality starts, saves, ERA, and whip for pitchers. Very interesting order in which you listed those categories. Unconventional. Total bases and OBP reward extra base hits and walks, unlike home runs and batting average. And quality starts is pretty obviously better than wins. Can you make the case for changing any of the categories? I don't think quality starts are obviously better than wins, especially in an era where nobody really goes six innings uh, anymore. I guess you can say that a, a a guy going six innings is more exceptional these days, and so you might want to reward uh, exceptionality as a skill, but you know, three earned runs and six innings is pretty meh. Um, so I, I'm not a big, like, I, I don't have a preference on quality starts versus win. I know that makes me uh, a bit of a Luddite, but I just, I think they're both random and not all that indicative of actual skill. Can, can I add something? Because I, I don't know that I've heard a good explanation for why innings wouldn't work as a category replacing quality starts and wins. I mean, obviously, if you're if it's a situation where people can exploit the waiver wire like they do with the the excessive streaming of pitchers, then okay, that makes it easy to exploit. That's it right there. That's it right there. But I mean, you can obviously set up the rules to avoid that just like you should to avoid the excessive streaming of pitchers. So, I, I mean, like that that just sounds like an indirect problem from I don't it. know because because then it's then you are just so much more inclined to throw go with a two-star pitcher over any one-star pitcher. I mean, you can win the category. Let's say you're setting your lineup once per week. Innings it, I just think it's too easy to uh yeah. I mean I mean it, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely easier to predict who's going to get the most innings in a given week than who's going to get the most quality starts and wins. Yeah. But that's you know, part of the issue people have with both of those categories, quality starts and wins, is how unpredictable they are. So it's, I don't know, I guess it's just where you want to fall on that predictability spectrum. All right, this is from Mark. I'm in a 12-team, two-catcher auction points league. Scott, I'll give this one to you. So it's 12 teams, two-catcher auction points league. How much do I add to the value of the top catchers? In football, the quarterbacks are given double the value in a 2QB league as opposed to a 1QB league. Should I be willing to pay double the auction value if necessary to buy a top-tier catcher? Or is there an amount, say, $10 out of a $260 budget that you would suggest I add to their value? People overthink the 2-catcher league so much. Like, yeah, there aren't many good catchers. So everybody's going to have a bad second catcher. Like it's, it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah, basically. I, in fact, I wouldn't mind spending on like catchers eight and nine or something like that, and having two respectable ones for a pretty low cost. Um, but I think but I have I have no problem going the other way and just having two clunkers there and, and yeah. you know positioning myself better at other positions. Those because- are those are those Scott like those are in leagues in which you play two catchers. 
five outfielders, DH, corner infield, and middle infield. I don't know the rest of this lineup, but in a league like that where you have two catchers, but you also have a ton of other hitters, I've seen too many player, too many fantasy managers win their league with crappy catchers. I'm just not going to be paying up for catcher. You know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, this is from Mikey. He says, hey, Alan. Ha, ha, ha. Somebody called me Alan last week. It was really weird. Which starting pitcher breakout from last year should we be cautious about this year? Kind of like a Zach Godley or a Nick Pavetta from years past. Bieber, Giolito, Morton, etc. Who would you be cautious about? The guys with longer track records who had the one-year breakout are always more risky than someone like Walker Bueller, who, yes, he was a one-year breakout, or Shane Bieber, yes, they were one-year breakouts, but, you know, there's not a ton backing up that they weren't good. So I, I would say, you know, yeah, Giolito seems like a perfect example of that. Now, I like Giolito, and I actually, I'll draft him uh, because I don't think the price is is all that high, but the guy with the bigger track record, and, and I'll say also the smaller the sample size. So, like, Tyler Glasnow is being drafted as a top 24 starting pitcher based on, like, 55 innings, I think, or 69 innings, something like that. I'm really wary of buying in on that. He's going later than Giolito, which I guess makes sense. 23 spots after Giolito, according to Fantasy Pros. So, uh, actually, 19 spots. Who would you rather have, Giolito 55th or Glasnow 74th? Giolito. Uh, yeah, 20 picks difference. I think I'm, I mean, I, def- I rank Giolito higher, but I think I might go Glasnow. I, is Eduardo Rodriguez an unacceptable answer here? I mean, according to. ADP, uh, I'm okay with how we're being how we're valuing Eduardo Rodriguez, but he was top 15, top 20 pitcher last year, and we just had somebody asking if he's an ace. I mean, it was clearly the best season of his career, so it was a breakout season, and we clearly I, think he's going to perform at that level again. So, I, yeah, but the price is this is the problem with fantasy baseball in 2020. Everyone's sharp now. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's a lot harder to find like. It's it's pretty easy to find guys that I like. It's a lot harder these these days to find guys who are just being way overvalued, I think. I think Steven Strasburg is being overvalued. He's going 23rd overall, and he stayed healthy. He made a World Series run. I, I'm not confident that he's going to be able to do that, that he's going to be able to do that again. I mean, through 209 innings, we know his track record. And I think he's a great, great pitcher. I really do. But you can't completely ignore the fact that he's had kind of a high ERA for an elite pitcher. Of all the pitchers that finished in the top 12 in fantasy points last year, he had the highest ERA at 332. You know, there are going to be a number of pitchers who have like a 280-ish, sub-3 ERA. Some might have a 250. He's not going to be that guy, it seems. You know, he's really only done that once since 2012. So I think Strasburg's going too early, 23rd overall. Um, and it's mostly because I, I of injury concerns. A guy, but I mean, we're kind of changing what we're talking about now because well, he wasn't a breakout pitcher last year. Oh, okay. I mean, that's fair. All right. So, it's, do you have an answer, Scott? With Rodriguez for you, Chris said Glass now. Um, I wonder about Bieber. Like, do you think it was legit with him? He was the number. He was a top six pitcher. He. I think he's a little lucky. Yeah, I think he's a little lucky, but it seems pretty damn good. But he gives up some home runs. He gives up 31 homers. He's not great at home. He's great on the road. I don't know. I don't know. Bieber feels like he, he could go a little I'll, early. I'll say this. And look, so there probably is going to be some busts among this group. I mean, oh, yeah. It, it just stands to reason there will be. But I did not consider any of them in putting together my bust list. I did not even consider them because there isn't an obvious red flag to me. Yeah, well, uh, the last one I'll say, because he was brought up in the email, again, I think on a per-inning basis, he's going to be great. He is great. It's Charlie Morton. But again, he doesn't stay healthy, and he did last year, and you might get burned on that. He's got an extensive injury history. But, like, I I think he's been pretty healthy the last three years now. But he faded down the stretch two years ago pretty badly. So I question... I questioned his stamina, I guess, or maybe it was just fluky. 
But but all the other thing about him is that he did not throw more than 108 pitches in any game. So you know how the Rays are with their starting pitchers. So if he takes a little bit of a step back and he's not quite as efficient, sure. I think he's a really good pitcher. I don't know if he's going to be an ace. But I but I think what Scott said is true. I don't I don't see an obvious bust like he's not that good in there. Uh from Jeff in Cedar Rapids. The most likely batter to break out this year is the most likely pitcher to break out this year is. Hmm. Hmm. Singling out a most likely. Um, I'm going to say J.D. Davis is the most likely hitter to break out this year. Hmm. And the most likely pitcher to break out, I'm going to say, is Zach Gallen. Ah, oh, you took mine. Ah, sorry. Right. <laughs> okay, I like that. Uh, I went with as a with a question mark. Most likely pitcher to break out, James Paxton is exactly what we were saying about Eduardo Rodriguez. If you want to see, you see improvement at a point in the season. Was there a reason for it? And yes, in his last eleven starts, he went ten and zero with a two fifty one ERA. 20 walks, 69 strikeouts, six home runs allowed in 61 innings, and a .95 whip. He did that facing Boston twice, facing the Dodgers once, Texas twice. That's a good lineup. That's about half his starts. He started throwing his breaking ball more, and I don't know why he was like a one-pitch pitcher for a while with the Yankees. It made no sense. Started throwing his breaking ball more. And another thing and another thing with the Yankees is I—, I do I'm pretty intrigued by who they hired as their pitching coach, even though I can't remember his name. But he comes from the Indians organization. They have an ama- they have a great track record with young pitchers. The pitchers that in that were quoted about it from the Indians really liked him. So I think he can bring a more of an analytical view and kind of change things up for the Yankees pitchers. I think Paxton's awesome. He just has to stay healthy. But he goes a lot earlier than Zach Gallen. So I got mine. Okay. Julio Rios. Oh, Sorry. That I was going to say him too. Yeah, uh, his ADP is right around 50th at starting pitcher, and he is uh, relief pitcher eligible. This is going to be—we're going to have to talk about this at some point, but this could be an all-time great Sparp season. There are so many really high-level, high-potential Sparps this year. I'm really excited about it. And my hitter most likely to break out, Corey Seager. I'm not usually a fan of the arbitrary endpoints. I make fun of it a lot. Full season statistics are more predictive than season statistics. But in his case, he was coming back from hip and elbow surgeries and was abysmal in the month of April with an OPS below 700. From that point on, he hit 282 with an OPS right around 850 with a 162 game pace of 28 homers, 58 doubles, 124 RBI and 102 uh, runs. He's always looked a lot like Freddie Freeman in the peripherals and the early season production or early career production. And it wasn't until his age 26 season that Freddie Freeman broke out, became a legitimate power hitter and an elite fantasy option. And I'll give you one guess as to how old Corey Seager will be this season. 41. Yep. 41? Adam. Okay, great. Cool. Uh, Pete from St. Pete. That's fun. Scott mentioned he doesn't have Vladimir Guerrero in his top 12 third baseman, stating that there are proven guys ahead of him, but also that it's a ridiculously deep position. With the position so deep, wouldn't you want to put a player with so much potential higher? There will be so many viable options to fall back on. Why not try to get a guy who has the upside of number one at the position? Okay. there You say there will be so many guys to fall back on, but they're going to get drafted too. So if, if, if you want that to be true, you're going to have to in, make an investment in a second third baseman as Vladimir Guerrero insurance. And is that the way you want to structure your draft? Uh, if if we're talking a shallow league like ten teams, then I I think there's there's merit to that argument. I mean, somebody like Justin Turner in a ten team league, he might be there the last round or two. Mm-hmm. But twelve teams or deeper, um, I think. Look, you may just end up with a second third baseman because there's so many good ones. It may just happen yeah. mm-hmm. by accident, but it's it's just not something, especially knowing the quality of player I'm passing up in round five, I think is where Vladimir Guerrero goes on average. I mean, you could get one of the aces there. You know, you could get a true ace there when the pitchers you're looking at later in the draft would obviously be bad. I, I'm just comfortable 
passing him up there, uh, taking a Matt Chapman or Josh Donaldson or whatever. I mean, any of 14 other third basemen who are more proven and who would be perfectly satisfactory starters than, uh, you know, crossing my fingers that this is the year it all goes right for Vladimir Guerrero. Okay, we're going to spend the last 10 minutes of the show on keeper questions. Chris, we're going to give this one to you, then Scott, then Chris, then Scott, then Chris. So this is from Ricky Booby. That's a better movie than uh, the Ricky Bobby one. Dear Harry Lloyd, Petey, and Mary. Chris? Oh, yeah. Dumb Who's Petey? Petey's the parrot. Yeah. Oh. Petey okay. didn't have a head. Okay. Uh, 16-team head-to-head categories. It's six by six. I can keep four of the following. So who should I keep? No round restrictions. Jose Ramirez, DJ LeMahieu, Josh Bell, Gallo, Brantley, Muncie, Mancini, Severino, Syndergaard, and Brios. Oh, boy. I think you go... Is it crazy to say Ramirez and then the three pitchers? I don't I think so. I think that's where the ADP is. Maybe Barrios is probably higher or lower than LeMahieu and Bell, but I would imagine Severino and Syndergaard are going to cost more uh, than the likes of LeMahieu, Josh Bell, Joey Gallo this season. And so in that instance, I'd rather uh, keep the guys who are who would cost more to reacquire and hope that I can go get players who are cheaper after, if that makes sense. Okay, this is from John. Scott, he's in a 12-team, 6 by 6 keeper league, and we can keep six players with three-year contracts with the player value moving up one round each year. So he's got Real Muto, Flaherty, Clevenger, and Jordan, Jordan Alvarez. Oh, I already screwed it up. Uh, that's four. Now he needs two more. Jose Ramirez in the fifth round, but the last year of his contract. Brandon Woodruff in the 16th round, for three years. Joe Adele in the 24th round for three years. Go with two of those. I would go with Ramirez and Woodruff. Next email is from Kevin in Detroit. 10 teams, six by six categories league with quality starts and OBP added. Pick two keepers, Chris. Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, Pete Alonzo, Jordan Alvarez. Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty. Scott, this is from James E. in New York City. Dear Will, Ryan, and John. <laughs> so, ja- six? Yeah, James listens to like all of our shows. This is the Pick 6 podcast. Uh, it's a great show, by the way. If you want some Super Bowl content, we'll have it on Fantasy Football today, but also Pick 6. Um, I listened to their Eli Manning emergency podcast. They were throwing out stats that I had not heard or seen anywhere else. It was really interesting So, about him being a Hall of Famer or whether or not he should be. So, yeah, check out the Pick 6 podcast. Uh, 12-team keeper league, everyone keeps two. It's categories, headed categories. Bregman in round two, Castillo in round eight, Alonzo in round 12, or Paddock in round 14. Who would you keep? Bregman in round two, Castillo in eight, Alonzo in 12, Paddock in 14. I would keep uh, Bregman and Alonzo. I'm not. I'm not answering any of these questions with confidence. These are some. These are some really tough choices you guys have, and I have to come up with an answer on the spot. So, I would think you have Alonzo ranked higher than Castillo, and certainly Paddock. Anyway, so right, right. He's at a four round discount. Makes it an easy call. I'm not sure. I'm keeping Bregman in round two. Oh, that's that. There's that too. Um, it's not much but, of a discount. But here's the thing: like, who's going to be available with that round two pick? Because if it's not somebody Bregman caliber, then you absolutely should keep Bregman. Right, like you could let Bregman go and pick him in this first round is like the most likely kind of outcome. But I mean, if Bregman is far and away the best player who's not, only two keepers per team, I guess guess there's a good chance there'll be some other studs there. Yeah. All right, this is Uh, from, oh, he also says Chiefs 31, 49ers 24. I think that's too many points. For the 49ers, yeah. Yeah, I like the Chiefs, but I still don't know who I like in that game. I'm really close. From Adam, keeper question. This one's for Chris. Three years of eligibility for each in a head-to-head 14-team league. Fran Mil Reyes in the 13th round or Alex Kirilov in the 20th? 
Alex Karloff could be anything. He could even be Fran Mil Reyes. Oh, Reyes is not that good. I mean, he just hit 37 home runs. Everybody yeah. hit 37 home runs. Okay, only like 48 people hit 37 home runs. Calm down. <laughs> uh, no, I think Fran Mil Reyes is very good. I think there's reasons to believe that he was he could be even better than he was. I'm a I'm a big Fran Mil Reyes fan. He was my breakout pick for the outfield position. Um, where would Alex Kirloff even play this year? Like you might, you can keep him for three years. Great. But like, there's no room for him in, in Minnesota right now. Okay. So what are you going to do? You're going to keep him for three years and not use him for at least one. Okay. Fran Melodis from Sean head to head categories, league average OBP doubles, singles, triples, homers, stolen bases, RBIs, runs. Oof. Okay. Counts that It's basically everything. Which player would you keep of these three? I have them for the next three seasons, but I'm more focused on winning this season. DJ LeMayhew, Jeff McNeil, or Matt Olson? I would... I mean, I think it's close enough what you expect from them this season that I would I would go with Matt Olson because he seems to have the safest long-term profile. Really? Interesting. Because you know, LeMayhew goes a lot earlier. Really? A lot earlier? What's the dif- what, What's the ADP difference there? Well, I'm kind of talking out of my butt. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, dude, it's f- four spots earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize think. Olsen was going, well, I, yeah, let's see. Then Jeff McNeely goes a lot earlier. But, yeah, Olsen, 70th. LeMayhew, 66th. Although I would argue that this is kind of like a points league, and maybe maybe he's, you know, I think LeMayhew's a lot better in a points league than a roto league. Yeah, I think. I actually think Eileen McNeil in this just because once you add in how many different categories there are and how like he, you know, I think he'll probably have more triples than any of the other guys. I think he'll probably have about as many doubles as LeMahieu, and I would imagine both of them will have more than Olsen. Olsen will have more homers for sure, but his average is going to be way lower. So I just, when you're talking about this many, like if it was just slugging percentage or just total bases, which is essentially you're just kind of triple weighting all these categories. Uh, if it was just slugging percentage or just total bases, I'd go with Olsen. But the fact that there's so many different categories that aren't home runs, I think kind of lessens the impact of the home run hitter. McNeil has had a 380 OBP two straight years. Let's see what LeMahieu was. He was this year, 375. Yeah, all right. Well, I, there's a case for everyone there, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I get Chris's argument, but that would that would kind of make me lean more LeMahieu. All right, I think two I just, more guys. I think I talked myself into LeMahieu. Forget Olsen, sorry. I just kind of buy McNeil, what McNeil did last year more than LeMahieu. From Sean, no, we just read that. From Matt, Mike in Chicago, dear Egon, Peter, Winston, and Ray, I'll just ask you guys both, who's your favorite Ghostbuster? I mean, from the movies, it's definitely Peter. Yeah, Bill Murray. Yeah, I mean... I grew up on the cartoon as a kid, and and I was drawn to Egon. I was drawn to Donatello too. I don't know what that says. <laughs> what a dork? Okay. <laughs> I have Acuna, Degrom, and Alonzo as locks. I need two more from the following three: Blake Snell, Chris Bryant, and Steven Strasburg. Chris, you get this one. Blake Snell and Steven Strasburg. And Scott from Marty, drop one of these guys in a keep forever points league. Sixto Sanchez, Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, and Christian Peche. Did I say keep that right? Uh, that no, keep, keep, keep three, one? drop one. Keep three, drop one. Okay, so I'm picking which one to drop. Keep forever, points league. Um, mm, I'm, I'm going to drop Madrigal because I think there are the clearest limits to the upside, and I, I tend to assess prospects in terms of how good could they be. And, you know, Madrigal's safe, but he's not as upside as these others. Did I say Colin Pache's... Uh, Christian. Christian Pache's... I didn't say his first name right here. Did I say his name right? His yeah. last name? Well, the last name, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Could be Page for all I know. That's it for today's show. Have a great weekend, everybody. Scott and Chris are probably going to have the next show as I'll be uh, in Miami for the Super Bowl next week. But, hey, maybe I'll hop on. It'd be nice. I can hopefully 
be on the show next week. If not, I'll be on the week after that. You'll have Scott and Chris, though, to take you uh, to take you through the big news and talk about some outfield tiers, maybe some starting pitcher tiers. And position previews are about two, two and a half weeks away, everyone. So get ready for that. FantasyBaseball at CBSI.com for your emails. For Scott, for Chris, I'm Adam. Have a great weekend, everybody. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.